the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. You can hear the program each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. AM 560 WFIL.com and on the app, you're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show. Thanks for hanging out today. Rain, rain on my face. Indeed, all day, all night, and tomorrow. We're making more progress in our partnership with Trans World Radio. 105 radios down, just six or fifty. Uh, no, yeah, 63 to go. 105 down, 63 to go. And uh, we're very grateful for everyone who has stepped up and helped out. If you'd like to do the same by providing a radio or two or three to someone in Africa that we're partnering with eight different, nine different countries, uh, there's special wind-up radios that don't require uh, any plug-in. It's just they're mobile that way. Very powerful opportunity to spread the gospel through the power of radio. 888-988-5656. 888-988-5656. You can also go to WFIL.com. We'll do some thank, thank yous a little later on the program, but we have a quick break we want to take. And then we're going to bring in Kathy Barnett, who's running for U.S. Congress, the 4th Congressional District. She's coming up in just a moment here on the Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560, WFIL.com, and the WFIL app. Live and local, it's the Tim DeMoss Show, weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Our podcast continues. It's 4.06 on the Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. Very pleased to bring in a very busy woman. Her name is Kathy Barnett. She is running for U.S. Congress in the 4th Congressional District. She's been in politics her whole life. Just kidding. <laughs> How you doing, Kathy? Doing well. Did you say I've been in politics my whole life? Yes, and then they said, just kidding, because I know you're the like opposite of that. And then kind of the proud of it. complete opposite. The <laughs> complete opposite. And proud of it. Yes, you're right. I'm very proud of that. Well, thank you for carving out a little time to chat today. Um, and I, what I want to do, if you're, if you're good with it, is to take our time. I'm sure you're running at a breakneck speed. And so rather than try and cover an, uh, you know, a not possible amount of information in a 20-minute window or whatever we have together, I just thought we could chill a little bit and talk about a few main things, Qu- quality over quantity, perhaps. Um, and maybe just... I, I love it. Would that be good? You. Okay, good. Well, yes, let's do it. Just uh, even though you've done this before, maybe just for folks to understand a bit of your background, uh, of your story, and why it's important in terms of how that's led to you you know, running for Congress. So take your time and yeah. share what you like. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Tim, for having me on. I am um, very grateful for the opportunity to be able to come and speak to your listeners. Uh, my name is Kathy Barnett. I am running for Congress in the 4th Congressional District of Pennsylvania, and it was not on my bucket list. (laughs) It was not something that uh, I have been groomed for. It was not something that I had ever considered um, thinking about or considering uh, up until the moment that it was right in front of me, uh, mid-November of last year. Prior to that, it had never crossed my mind. Um, and yet, I remember sitting on the floor with my daughter. I had uh, we were in our sixth year of homeschooling, 
Uh, and so I was sitting on the floor homeschooling my daughter in geography, and I'm looking around. At this point, we were getting ready to go into the second time of trying to impeach a duly elected president. I had gotten wind of the House Democrats bill, a new immigration reform bill, which I thought was utterly ridiculous. And it literally redefines what it means to be an American. So as I'm sitting there with my children on the floor, I'm thinking to myself, what in the world are they about to inherit? Will there even be an America (laughs) Mm. Uh, by the time my babies grow up? Um, And then I started thinking about other little boys and girls who may find themselves underneath a rock as I once was. Um, You know, for those who do not know, I often describe myself as I once was a little black girl who grew up on a pig farm in southern Alabama. I grew up uh, underneath the rock, uh, below the bottom rung of the economic ladder. Um, We lived in a home with no insulation, no running water, an outhouse in the back, and a well on the side. But because no one ever told me I was a victim, because no one ever told me all the odds are against me, I might as well not try, you don't have those privileges, I became the first in my family to go and finish college. I spent 10 years in the U.S. Army Reserves, where I was accepted into officer candidacy school. I uh, spent time in the financial industry, corporate America, uh, an adjunct professor of corporate finance. I speak to millions on almost a daily basis. I've authored my first book, Nothing to Lose, Everything to Gain, Being Black and Conservative in America, that went number one on Amazon for two months in a row, by the way. Wow. And now I'm running for Congress. I mean, go figure, from a pig farm (laughs) to now a candidate for Congress. That only happens in America, people. Yeah. And I believe that my story represents all that is good about this country. I mean, like, that's something you don't hear a whole lot of. We're so bombarded with all negatives, people finding negative, putting spotlights on negatives, uh, twisting the narrative so that everything feels so doom and gloom. And yet here I stand. Um, and there's much more about my story. I'm not even mentioning it. Yeah. yeah. I find out even more. But, you know, I mean, my story represents all that is good about this country. I love my country, and I believe our country is in trouble. And that was the impetus that uh, caused me to start looking around and asking uh, what what more can I do for my nation? Folks tuning in, it's the Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. Kathy Barnett's our guest. She's running for U.S. Congress in the 4th Congressional District. Uh, you said something in the beginning of your remarks there about because you hadn't been told you were deprived and you didn't know any better, for lack of a better term. Uh, I was just thinking about all those amazing things that have happened in your lifetime. What could have – have you ever stopped, stepped back and said, what could have actually de- de- uh, gotten in the way? Like a message, like you probably won't be able to do this, or you you have all these problems, or you have the, the odds are stacked against you, or or anything else. And what and, and on the positive side, what went into being able to do those things, such as just flat out hard work or perseverance or whatever it was. You know, I mean, a, a couple of things that I have. Um, if you know my story, Google it, people. I don't want to talk about you know uh, every single uh, aspect of my life, but. You know, I've always been, because of how I was conceived, um, I've always 
have been very thoughtful about my purpose. Why am I here? What am I supposed to do with my life? Because God went through a tremendous amount of work to get me here today. Hmm. And so I've always kind of have had my, you know, my, 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 my sensitivities, um, uh, alert, looking, um, you know, being very mindful of, you know, what is my purpose? Why am I here? And although I was a child and did not know how impoverished my beginnings were, my, my grandparents certainly did. And yet I never remember anyone ever told me, Kathy, all the odds are against you. Don't try. Instead, I saw them working very hard. Um, to provide for us. And I had a, a very happy childhood. And so I'm very grateful to them. Uh, but I have to say, you know, I mean, as I was growing up, there was a tremendous amount of lack and disparity and, um, you know, and, 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 and circumstances that aren't normal, for, you know, for most people. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't really have a roadmap on how to get from a pig farm to where I am today. But I will never forget. It's kind of like that defining moment in my life. I gave my life to the Lord when I was 19 years old. And um, and Jesus set me on a completely different path hmm. in life, almost like night and day. And I'm old enough to not, I mean, to remember that. And to be very aware of where my life was headed, because it was looking very similar to the lives of so many, um, you know, who were around me at that moment, uh, which would not have led me to where I am today. So if you ask me, you know, what was one of those defining moments? Yes, hard work, education, uh, believing in myself. Uh, but but initially, it would have to start, uh, you know, with, um, you know, not only watching my grandparents work very hard for us and providing for us, but also the fact that I gave my life to the Lord, you know, at the age of 19. And um, and every day has been very different from the day, from the days prior uh, to that moment. Kathy Barnett's kind enough to take time out of her very busy schedule. She's running for U.S. Congress in the 4th Congressional District. Uh, you can look her up. Kathy Barnett for Congress.com and make sure you do a K for the Kathy and there's an E on the end of Barnett and there's two T's. But I'm just thinking if people just type in <laughs> Kathy Barnett, I'm sure they'll find it. Did you mean Kathy yeah. Barnett with an italicized bold face? <laughs> so they can find out uh, on your site. You have, among other things, the platforms and things that you, you know, people get a little bit of an idea of the different topics, um, Second Amendment, pro-life, uh, China, health care. The suburbs, public safety, Center for Infectious Disease Outbreaks, a lot of things to get a flavor. So they can look there to get more information on that. Um, is there one topic in particular maybe that just comes to mind most naturally for you that you're passionate about you'd like to share about? Oh, my goodness. So many. <laughs> so many. <laughs> I am. I'm passionate about so many things. And there's so much that's right about our nation. But at the same time, there's so much that is wrong right now. Um, you know, the concept of law and order, uh, we need to get back to a place where simply uttering the words law and order is not equated to a racial slur. Mm. That's the, I mean, like, that has perhaps shocked me, um, you know, uh, a lot, just to see where our nation is. We have some blatant wrongs 
that are um, taking place right in front of us. And these quote-unquote leaders that we've elected are mute. Everyone is silent. Uh, whether it's in the church or whether it's in politics or wherever we go, they are silent on what is taking place and transpiring um, all across our nation. The only one I've ever seen vocal about, you know, the rioting and the looting and how blatantly wrong these things are is the president. But beside him, and I'm talking about our side of the, my side of the aisle um, on the Republican side, uh, you, you hear no one saying it. I mean, if you think I'm wrong, go to your Facebook page, any of your social media page, and simply type in the words law and order. You're going to get canceled. You're going to get blowback mm. immediately. How in the world did we spiral to this point? I believe it did not happen overnight. Um, it's been a slow burn that has gotten us to where we are today, and I don't believe that it's going to be overnight for us to come out of this. But, I mean, it's, it's you know, America is the greatest nation that has ever existed. I say it all the time. And it is the greatest nation that has ever existed, primarily because it was founded upon the greatest political document ever written, the U.S. Constitution. And the U.S. Constitution is nothing more than a set of laws and order. And our country does not exist apart from law and order, and yet that is the very thing that is being upended right now. Even if we extend it to how uh, you know uh, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court and the and, and other progressive Democrats or um, or uh, managing or ordering the steps of this election. I mean, this election has the great possibility of looking like Afghanistan elections with the progressive Democrats looking a whole lot like the Taliban. I mean, mm. I, I cannot believe that we are about to go into an election um, and what is looming over all of us, right? I mean, the possibility that our nation will look like some of these third world countries and how they're uh, elections are handled. The bullying, the intimidation, you already hear people on the left uh, calling for riots, right, if they don't get their way. That's, that's not that much of a difference from what we see with the Taliban over in Afghanistan and some of these other third world countries as well. And so I cannot believe that the greatest nation has become crippled by these by this very radical progressive wing of the democrat party it's utterly ridiculous and i try to be as nuanced as possible because it's not all democrats yeah. i mean most democrats i talk to i mean like they cannot believe where their party uh, has gone and it yeah. does not reflect the overwhelming majority of Democrats, but nonetheless, they're under the banner. They're very progressive. They're very radical. They're very loud and determined. You know, Kathy, uh, folks just tuning in, Kathy Barnett's our guest on the Tim DeMoss show on WFIL. She's running for U.S. Congress in the 4th Congressional District. You just touched on something that I wanted to, to throw at you, uh, also just in the realm of uh, Black Lives Matter and race issues of that sort of thing. I, I don't know about you, but I, I'm guessing. Uh, nobody really appreciates being lumped into anything. So uh, I've thought of sometimes when there there's uh, a negative, uh, like, I don't know, just m maybe you could speak to that, what you're seeing on the campaign trail, uh, so to speak, as you talk with individual real people rather than a, a, a group with, you know, like, what are you hearing from the black community? What are you hearing from Democrats? What are you hearing from Republicans? Real people who have real concerns and we're not going to all agree on the same stuff, but 
um, I, I guess I just am big on the individual and, and I've often thought in the black community specifically how there are a lot of friends I have who are black who are not appreciating the riots, for example, not that it's all blacks who are rioting, right? But like, not the, at all. Or, or just the, just not the platform, right? Not just the platform. Like, uh, all blacks want this. Like, no, I, who, who are you talking for? Are you talking no. for me? <laughs> Yeah, you know what? No. I mean, the overwhelming majority of blacks that I've spoken to, and I've spoken to a lot, I'm black. <laughs> I've never, I, you know, let me just let me just do, uh, you know, a sidebar. I have never said the words, I'm black, as much as I have since I've been running for Congress now. Because it's like I constantly have to remind primarily white progressive liberals, I'm black. Because they love trying, they know everything. They even know what it means to be black. And they don't mind telling me, right? And so it's like I constantly have to remind them, wait a minute, I'm black. You don't care more about my black life than I do. I can assure you. Um, You know, I've I've gone into all kinds of very liberal circles. And, and, you know, and it's primarily white progressive liberals. And they're sitting there with violins, you know. Um, opining on how much they love black lives. And I have to remind them, you don't love my black life more than I love my black life. I've been black all my life. And Black Lives Matter did not just start mattering to me because white progressive liberals are putting up little Black Lives Matter signs in their yard. Black lives have mattered to me since birth. I mean, I'm a black woman married to a black man raising black babies with black (laughs) brothers and uncles, mother and father. Black lives matter to me. So I think it's very interesting that as I'm walking around here, you will be hard pressed to find a black person with a Black Lives Matter sign in their yard. You're going to be real hard pressed Hmm. to find that because overwhelmingly we understand the differences. First of all, black lives have been mattering to us for a very long time. So you can't come questioning me on whether or not I support black lives. Of course I do. But I do not support Black Lives Matter Global Network Incorporated. Uh, Everything that my husband and I have been building towards, they are against. Now, they've been scrubbing their website for some time now. So some of their more radical positionings on what they believe, they've removed it as more and more people are taking a look at it and recognizing who this organization really is and what they're really about. But, you know, but one of the things that they had on their website is to dismantle the Western normative idea of the nuclear family. Well, I grew up with a single parent mother, and I can assure you the village does not do a better job than what my husband and I have been able to provide for our children. So I see that organization, Black Lives Matter Global Network Incorporated, as the antithesis of what it is that I believe really as the enemy of what my husband and I are trying to achieve, not just in that particular uh, aspect, but in a number of other things as well. So, again, of course Black Lives Matter to us. Of course we want, but you see, white progressive liberals, as usual, because they know everything, they, <laughs> they, they come into black communities and they tell us what our problems are. And this time they have they've swooped in as saviors, to tell us that our problem is policing, police brutality. Now, George Floyd was murdered, and I have yet to meet anyone to say otherwise. And I would have been right out there with every other person, locked arm and in step protesting, making sure that his death did not get swept 
under the rug and that a spotlight was placed on it. But this rioting, this looting, this mayhem, intimidation, it's foolishness, and it does nothing to represent what's really going on. Police brutality is not the number one issue plaguing primarily black communities. It's the lack of financial inclusion. I believe that financial inclusion is the second civil rights movement um, today. But because no one is talking about it, we'll be here, you know, every time a white about the word racism, they expect black folks to lose our mind and start running around trying to chase down every whiff of racism. Mm. Does racism exist? Yes. But what am I supposed to do about that? I mean, how much of my 24 hours out of the day am I supposed to spend on making sure all of your thoughts are happy and peaceful towards me? (laughs) Or what portion can I spend trying to move on with my life and trying to accomplish? When you're coming from a pig farm and underneath a rock, you got to... You got to get real focused real fast, right? You can't be out here chasing down every whiff of racism or every whiff of how somebody feel about you. You got to get real focused real quick so that you can get from point A to wherever it is you're intending to go. Kathy Barnett, uh, our guest today on the Tim DeMoss Show, running for U.S. Congress in the 4th Congressional District. And uh, I've got many more questions I could ask you, but let's end with one so you can, I'm sure, have more things to do today. If, if you get a chance to you know, get elected next week and uh, have a chance to get into office and roll up your sleeves and go further, what's something um, you feel particularly excited about helping accomplish? And, and, and again, it's, I, I, parenthetically, I'll just say I, keep, I, I tell people all the time it's important to vote. For sure. I believe it matters a lot. And then make sure you're also carrying out, especially as a Christian man, uh, I talk about the topic of pro-life. I talk a lot about you can go vote, vote that direction. That's great. But don't let that be the only thing you do. Make sure you're living a pro-life life. Uh, So do that as well, regardless of who's in office. So I encourage folks to vote. Me too. But um, and so, but I want I don't want to put this all on you. My point is, I don't want to put it all on you. Like, okay, Kathy, what are you going to do for everybody? Because we still have, you know, right? So we're all in this together, people, right? And now, what you guys need to do is not just vote, but then pivot and hold your um, elected officials accountable. It is. I mean, there's a reason why these people get to D.C. and suddenly evolve on all of us. We didn't get we didn't elect them because they were evolving. We elected them for a certain set of principles. But, you know, surprise, surprise, they get to D.C. All of a sudden they evolve. We need to start holding people accountable. As far as I'm concerned, again, there's just so many things, right? Law and order, bringing that back, making sure that it's no longer equated to a racial slur, financial inclusion in the black community, uh, sex trafficking, going hard at that. That is that is such a crisis, and it's a crisis right here in this country. I had the you know the opportunity to meet. Uh, someone today who is in that industry. And so I want to put a spotlight on that. No one really talks about that um, as much as they should. It's a very prevalent uh, wickedness uh, in the midst of us. I will always fight uh, for the lives of the most vulnerable. Again, you can go out and um, Google my name and you will understand why. It's very personal to me. So I will always fight for the most vulnerable, whether they're in the womb or towards the end of their natural life. I will always do that. Um, But China, China needs to pay. They've murdered 250,000 Americans. And if we didn't know any better, we would think Donald Trump cooked up COVID and released it on everyone. But he didn't. It was China. They allowed a local virus 
to to travel here to our shores, not only taking American lives, but also hampering our economy greatly. And so they need to be held accountable for that. In addition to jobs, all about jobs, right? How do we create more jobs and spread the wealth so that everyone has an opportunity in the shared prosperity of this nation? How do we incentivize manufacturers to decouple from China and other places and bring their businesses, their, their facilities back here? specifically with our critical medical supplies. How do we get that out of the hands of a communist country that is the antithesis of us in ideology and bring it back here to our country? Kathy, as, as we wrap up, tell me this, if you would. Just, I, I'm, 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 I don't envy uh, you or other polit- not politicians, people running for office, I should say it that way, because uh, and in office, because there's so many things you really have to have some knowledge of and keep going and keep learning and keep on top of and all that. Uh, so, you know, I, have you found that to be one of the you know, biggest challenges just to, you know, maybe, maybe things have been brewing for a long time. You've been an observant person for a lot, lot of years. So it's not like you just started yeah. learning a year ago, but that's gotta be a hard thing as, as far as what you're doing and, and to keep, you know, in the moment with, with what's going on. Listen, I was made for this moment. And it, it it did not quite dawn on me until I was in the midst of what it is that I'm doing and running for Congress. And now I can stand here and look back over the course of my life and realize that uh, God has been preparing me for this for all of my life. Man has not groomed me, but I've been groomed uh, through the different journeys and experiences of my life for such a time as this. I am right where I was always meant to be, and that is one of the coolest feelings ever, is to know without a shadow of a doubt, this is what I was made to do. Mm. (laughs) This is my purpose, and it comes very natural when it's within your purpose. Um, And so that's what I've been doing. I've been trying to enjoy this moment. It's a pressure cooker of a moment. This is not for the weak um, at heart, but, but for someone who understands purpose, um, it has truly been a pleasure to, you know, to have been selected from the foundation of the world to be in this exact space. I'm very grateful for the opportunity, and my desire is to not bend and to be true to those guiding principles. Kathy Burnett, thank you so much for taking time today, for taking time to share your thoughts. And, uh, and again, folks can learn more about a lot of different things. Uh, Kathy Barnett for Congress.com with Kathy with a K, Barnett with an E on the end. And uh, running for the U.S. Congress 4th Congressional District. God bless you. And uh, maybe we'll get to have you on again down the road. We'd love to God have you. God bless you. Thank bye. you, Kathy. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right. We'll take a quick break. Come back with much more. Listen to the Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560, WFIL.com, and on the WFIL app. Live and local. It's the Tim DeMoss Show, weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560, WFIL, and at WFIL.com. Our podcast continues. AM560, WFIL.com, and on the app, listen to the Tim DeMar Show. Uh, something I wanted to update you on also, I mentioned at the top of the program, how the partnership with Transworld Radio is going. Man, I love, uh, I love the opportunity to do this sort of thing. Every now and again, you know that we partner with a different ministry and try to be a blessing in the world. And sometimes it's uh, overseas, sometimes it's local. More often than not, it's another part of the world. Uh, In this case, that's what's going on. We're working with Transworld Radio to bring radios to Africa. 
And, you know, just on a very simple level, because we have a lot of different ministries we could be working with, uh, but we talk about it. And, and to me, this is like a no-brainer, because if you're listening to WFIL, you already know how powerful radio is and how important it can be to a person. So on a very simple level, when you work with us as we work with Transworld Radio together, you're providing the same thing for somebody else. doesn't take a lot of getting your mind around anything. Just, oh, yeah, let me do this for someone else. So in the past, we have helped build transmitters, which is an amazing opportunity. Uh, but also, this time around, a little different twist, we're actually helping provide the hardware, the, the radios themselves, for people to hear the gospel. And in this particular case, we're focused on eight or nine countries in Africa. And, of course, there's electricity throughout Africa. A lot of places have it, but a lot of places don't. And so we are looking to help provide a wind-up radio that doesn't require being plugged in anywhere. So it's very portable in that way and very effective. And uh, especially, they're only $50. So that covers everything, too. The, the import taxes, the distribution of it, everything. Uh, so if you're willing to help out, we were trying to think, well, how many, how many can we do? And the need, of course, with anything you're working with, really can kind of be open-ended. So rather than just be like, I don't know, but let's pick a number. You go with our, our frequency, 560, which is often called Philly 56 back in the day. Let's, let's do 56 radios this week and next week and the week after. We're doing like a three-week window with Transworld Radio, wrapping up, I think, this weekend. So 56 times three is 168 radios, and we're at 105 at last count and just 63 to go. So thank you so much to everyone who's helped out so far. Most recently, uh, James in Philadelphia, Glenny in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and Barbara in Doylestown each did one. Love that. Had Stephen in Bristol, did three. Joseph in Laurel Springs, New Jersey, did two. Ronald in Philadelphia did four. Bryant in Norristown, one. Vanessa in Philly, one. Terry in Lansdowne did uh, one. And Dennis in Claymont, Delaware, did one. And uh, they're among many who've, uh, who've helped out. I believe it was Shelly in Downingtown who started it all off with one radio. And then uh, we had Paul and Philly do half a radio. I want to emphasize that you don't have to do a whole radio. If you can't do $50 gift, that's fine. Do $25, be half, or do $10, whatever you can. It all adds up. We'll pair you up with somebody else and make a radio out of it. Rich in Somerset, New Jersey did three. Kathy in Quakertown did four. Those were some of the folks who got the ball rolling. Elizabeth in Lafayette Hill did one. So it all adds up. We take steps together forward. And um, at last count now... I have another update to pass along. We're actually at 114 now. 114 with 54 to go. And uh, today, what's today, Thursday? Today, tomorrow, and uh, Saturday. Those three days. Can we get 54 radios the next few days? I'm pretty sure we can. You want to help out? 888-988-5656. 888-988-5656. Or you can go to WFIL.com. It's right in the homepage. Help out however you can. This is not an interruption, if you will, to the radio station programming. It's part of the fabric of WFIL. You get to hear the programs. We also get to share the programs and be a blessing in this way. So thanks again to many who have helped. And if you could join in with us, we'd greatly appreciate it. Just 54 radios to go. By the way, uh, when we get to 119, like five radios from now, we have an anonymous donor who's going to do the 120th. Like that, right down the line till we get to the goal. So every nine radios, another one's added in. That's pretty cool, too. 
888-988-5656 or WFIL.com. Back with more in just a moment on WFIL. Have a guest you'd like to hear on the Tim DeMoss Show on AM560 WFIL? Email D at WFIL.com. AM560 WFIL.com on the app. Casting crowns to start right here. I'm reminded that today, uh, 12 years ago this day, the Philadelphia Phillies won the World Series. And much like that day and the day before, it was raining a whole lot. Uh, two years ago today, we had the gentleman who closed the whole thing out, Brad Lidge, on the program. And I thought, you know what? Let's play back some of that memory uh, with uh, Brad Lidge, who fell to his knees, threw his hands up, and... Uh, and he's a believer, by the way, too. So the conversation that we had had to do both with baseball and his faith. So let's just jump in and get part of this. This is Brad Lidge, former Phillies closer on the uh, World Series and uh, what happened uh, 12 years ago as it is today. This, again, was a conversation we had on this date in uh, 2018. Sure. So maybe we start with the game itself. And in general, what was it like for you to be part of a team that was so solid across the board. How much fun was that over the course of the season to, to watch all these stars and including yourself come together? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was really amazing. Obviously in 2007, the team did a fantastic job getting to the postseason, and they were, the ship had been righted in Philly. I mean, this was a great team before I got there and, you know, I watching us hit in 2008 in particular uh, was kind of mind numbing. I mean, it was, it was one of those deals where no matter what the score was at any point in the game, uh, if we were down, we were going to jump ahead. It was kind of it was kind of funny. I actually, I always kind of knew like if, you know because I always wanted to get out there and get a save for my team, but I always knew like if we went up a little bit early, there was no chance I was getting in there because all we were going to do is just keep tacking on runs. And if we were down early, that's that's when I thought, okay, here, here's here's my opportunity to get it saved because our guys are going to come back and, and, and give us a, you know, give us a lead at some point and I'll be able to get out there for that save. So I, I think, you know, by and large, all of us down in the bullpen, were just amazed at the offensive output. It seemed like every day and how the hitters never seemed to be out of sorts. If we went down early, they always kind of believed in themselves that they would get the runs to put us back and, uh, and, and ahead of the game. It was so much fun watching, you know, Rollins and Utley and Howard and Victorino and Worth and a bunch of others, Chooch and, all those timely hits and guessing confidence breeds confidence too. When if if they happen to struggle, the pitching picks up as well. And you had a lot of great pitchers on that team too. We really did, um, you know. And I think the bullpen, kind of from the beginning of the season to the end, really just kind of solidified itself. And and guys like Ryan Madsen really took the next step to you know here here I am watching him pitch, you know, in this World Series. But but back then he was still kind of figuring out his role, you know, in the bullpen, and he became a dominant setup guy that year. Chad Durbin did an incredible job for us. J.C. Romero, obviously. You know, Clay Condry, we picked up Scott Ayer, and he did great. So we had all these guys that kind of really had these great seasons. And you're right, confidence, busy confidence. And we were all confident in each other. And I think because of that, you know, we'd say things uh, to each other that maybe we hadn't heard before in, in, in a positive manner, uh, positive manner yeah. um, that allowed all of us to kind of feed off each other. So it was great to be a part of that bullpen. And, and the starting pitchers obviously got the job done all year long. It was great to watch them as well. And, and, you know, Cole Hamill was kind of at that point in his career where he was launching himself into superstardom. Yeah. Chat with Brad Lidge. Uh, you know, that year, of course, you had the, the perfect season, as it were, all 41 for 41 with the saves. I was wondering, from an individual standpoint, did that 
ever become a distraction to you where it, the streak is more on your mind or, or could feed confidence too? either way, or maybe were you able to kind of just push that aside and focus on just doing what you have to do? And You know, um, it's a good question. I never really, the first half of the season, I didn't think much about it at all because I just kind of knew I was going well. I'd, I'd had, you know, some safe streaks before in Houston. Uh, more important to me was just, you know, I, I had command of my slider that I'd never had before in my career. And, and really I felt super healthy. So I knew it was going real well. I knew I was getting the job done. I think as a closer, you know, regardless of what your ERA is, you know, you just want to get out there and get the job done. I mean, fortunately, you know, all things seem to be firing that year. And time and again, it just kept going right. And then all of a sudden, in the uh, second half of the season, I had a, uh, you know, a game where Shane Victorino threw a guy out at home plate and kept the – that was in Atlanta. He kept the safe streak alive. And really, kind of at that point, I was like, you know, this kind of feels like it's just one of those years it's meant to be. Everything keeps going right. Uh, you know, the saves keep happening. We keep winning games. And, and there was this just, I, I think for me, this kind of unconditional belief that regardless of what the score was, you know, if it's a one-run game and the leadoff guy hits a triple, we were, I still felt like somehow, some way, uh, he was going to stay at third base and we were going to get the win. So I think I started paying attention to it a little bit more toward the end of the season. But at that point, it was like it was – you know, people were starting to ask me a little more about it, and I really didn't want to think about it. Like, it kind of crept into my mind, but I tried to keep pushing it away because the last thing I wanted to do was go out there thinking about, you know, keeping a streak alive versus kind of dialing it in against the specific hitters I was facing. So yeah. I kind of had a real good, you know, mindset that year where every time I went out there, I, I really concentrated on pitch to pitch, never got ahead of the moment, and really kind of was able to, to focus on what each pitch would entail. 451, the Tim DeMoss Show. Brad Lidge joined us a couple years ago on the program, playing back for you a bit of the clip that uh, we had with uh, him that day. And we'll come back after this break in just a second and finish up part of that conversation and listen to Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. Have a guest you'd like to hear on the Tim DeMoss Show on AM560 WFIL? Email D at WFIL.com. 453 on the Tim DeMoss Show. It was 12 years ago today the Phillies won the World Series. Two years ago today, on the 10-year anniversary, we had Brad Lidge, the Phillies' closer on the program, who closed out that World Series victory. Let's close out our interview that we are playing some, some clips from for you to relive that. Take us through the final at bat, if you would. The last inning, 4-3 lead, you're protecting it. Was there any chance, by the way, that you were going to come in earlier than the ninth? Um, there, there, well, I mean, there's always a chance, uh, if somehow, you know, we ended up getting, uh, maybe a couple more runs, um, and, you know, somehow, even though this was very unlikely, uh, JC or, or Batson wasn't able to, you know, throw their inning as well as, as needed to be, but that hadn't happened all year. So yeah. I, even though there was a chance of that, I was super confident it wouldn't happen. Um, you know, but, because, uh, because it's you know, become the, a thing. It, it, I mean, obviously you, you see it in the yeah. playoffs more now than you did 10 years ago. So I didn't even know if that was part of the discussion, like be ready in case, or you, did you have to do it at all? And I'm trying to remember, I can't remember all those games that year. Did you ever have to come in for a four or five or six I, out save that year? I feel like that year it happened like one time. And, okay. and, and that's just crazy. I mean, it just speaks volumes to the guys ahead of me. Because I was doing it all the time, but the guys ahead of me were so good. It just wasn't necessary for me to come in the eighth inning. Yeah. How about that last at bat? The last pitch. What are you thinking that final yeah. at bat with Eric Kinski? I'm sure you've thought about it a couple of times since then. <laughs> How do you? Yeah. yeah, just a couple. It comes up. It comes up pretty uh, pretty often, and every time it does, I just I, you know I I love it. Uh, 
because, you know, it's just one of those deals where, you know, I try and think back in the moment and kind of remember the thoughts I had, not just from, like, the, the TV camera perspective, because somewhere over time I think you replay the moment, but you're replaying it like watching yourself instead of being in yourself. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you kind of have to go back to the, to the mindset, put myself back on the mound and the conversations I had with Doobie and Carlos Ruiz and, and, you know, Ryan Howard getting out on the mound and us all talking about it and then, uh, you know, just feeling like when I gripped that last slider that, that when I came set, I had a real good one in my hand. Like, I, I knew that was the one that was going to end it. And, uh, you know, I saw him swing and miss. It's just hard to believe, I think, at the time that it actually, uh, it actually comes out that way. And that, I, I just jumped for joy and elation. I, I think I was just looking up to the heavens saying, you know, we just won the World Series. But it's funny because it kind of like it looks like I was speaking in tongues or something weird. Um, Jason Worth always said so, uh, but it was um, it was just an incredible feeling of elation. That you, I mean, you know, I could try and describe it, but there's so much that goes into it. Personal, you know, celebrating with the city, personal achievement, team achievement. I mean, there's just so many things. You know, you dream about it when you're young, and it finally happens, and you don't really know how to process that in, in the moment. Chat with Brad Lidge. Well, the stadium was physically shaking that night. I remember the fanatic coming out and waving his hands to one side, then the other side. The, I mean, it was unbelievable atmosphere there. And just, I know, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I know that uh, the next year still got to the World Series, a different story for you personally. And a few years later, you wound up retiring. I'm just wondering if in the last couple of minutes we could chat a little bit about two things. One is just the, you know, how your faith in the Lord uh, came into play you know, with the mm -hmm. struggles of 2009 and maybe start with that and, and the next few years, because there were some down moments and some up moments still in the midst of all that, but it wasn't like 2008. You know, I think uh, I had learned quite a lot, um, I think, through going through some ups and downs in Houston about uh, about things that are a little bit bigger than the game, about things that are, are very uh, important in your life, regardless of your individual success or lack thereof, if you're going through a rough time. And it's really hard. I mean, honestly, baseball will test your faith. Like, it's if you ask anybody that stayed in the game long enough, like there are times where you're just like, why is this happening? I, I, you know, putting in all the work, I'm doing everything I can. But at some point you can kind of step back. If you can kind of step back from the moment, you free yourself up a little bit. And, and I think, you know, for me, um, I had a rough year in 2009, but our team still did great. And I didn't want to come out during the season. I had a torn meniscus in my knee, but I, I kept pitching through it because Charlie Manuel said, hey, you, you keep running out there. We keep winning games regardless of if you're doing well or not. We're winning. And, and I wanted to, you know, kind of uh, do that for the team. And, you know, it, we ended up getting the World Series. So I think it worked out okay. Yeah. Even if my, myself, I didn't have a great season. But one thing that is for sure is that every time I was going through a rough patch, I was able to kind of step back and step out of it, like I said, for a moment and really think about how fortunate I was to play the game and how there are bigger things. My faith, you know, no doubt, is played such a big role in that because I understood, well, I'm a baseball player. I'm very fortunate to do that, but there are so many other things going on. I mean, my, my call to, to God, to Jesus, the things that I think are important to me yeah. are, are so much bigger than baseball. And baseball allowed me, regardless of the results I had, to be able to be on a big platform to help other people out and uh, I think that, you know, when you can put things into perspective, which is not easy when you're going through them, uh, but if you're able to do that and, and able to have a strong faith through all of it, then, uh, then things become a, a lot more joyful in baseball. Brad Lidge, you closed out the 2008 Phillies World Series Championship 12 years ago today. Full podcast, October 29, 2018 at WFIL.com. Thanks for listening to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. Feel free to tune in to the full show each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.